Welcome to Property Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks the hot topics of property and explores how they affect you. I'm your host, Alice Stoltz. To kick things off this week, we hear how buyer demand in our capital cities has changed over the past few months. Next, Dan White, Ray White Group Managing Director, joins us to talk about the growing appeal of tree and sea changes. And finally, in celebration of Sustainable House Day 2020, Jenny Edwards from Lighthouse Architecture and Science explains how any Australian can adopt a more green way of living at home. Last week, Domain released its first buyer demand indicator. This indicator reveals how buyer demand shifts week on week based on Domain's search behaviour data. Domain journalist Kate Burke is here to unpack for us what it all means. Australians have been turning their backs on inner city living amid the coronavirus pandemic, with new research showing there's been increased demand for properties in both the outer suburbs of our cities and in regional areas. Domain's new buyer demand indicator, which looks at behavioural search data, shows buyer demand has rebounded from earlier this year and is significantly up year on year across our capital cities, with the exception of Melbourne, which is still under tough stage four restrictions, of course. Now, while demand is up elsewhere, there's definitely been a change in which areas buyers are looking at as they reevaluate their property wish lists. With people spending more time at home, we've seen increased interest in properties and areas that offer more space. The indicator shows buyer demand across Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Perth is highest for houses and units in outer suburban areas. That said, the capital cities have been outperformed by regional areas as more people look to make a sea or tree change, with the rise of remote working making it easier for people to leave the big cities behind. Over August and early September, demand for houses in regional Western Australia was up 45% since the start of the pandemic and a whopping 97.4% across the regions in the Northern Territory. Meanwhile, demand was also up about 30% in regional New South Wales and by more than 20% in regional Victoria, Queensland and South Australia. If you'd like to learn more, we have left a link to the complete article in the show notes. You can also find out what buy demand looks like for your own property by following your home on Domain for Owners. Visit the link in our show notes to get started. How we live, work and play has changed drastically over the course of 2020, prompting many Australians to re-evaluate their lifestyle and what they want and need in a home and in a community. At Domain, we've seen a spike in people eyeing a sea or a tree change over the course of the coronavirus pandemic, with areas like Bendigo and Ballarat in Victoria, Orange in New South Wales and Queensland's Magnetic Island, those regions that have seen much more increased interest. Today, we're joined by Dan White, Managing Director of the Ray White Group, to discuss how this trend is playing out on the ground and whether Australians' lockdown dreams of making a tree change are actually translating to increased demand in these areas. Dan, welcome to Property Unpacked. Yeah, thank you, Alice. Great to be with you. Now, we've seen such a big uptick in property searches and a lot of tree change and sea change destinations. Dan, have you seen a similar shift at Ray White? Yeah, absolutely. It's been um, it's been quite fascinating to see the change. Sometimes we see certain pockets of regional markets pick up activity, you know, over the years, but never have we seen every sort of regional market pick up, you know, right across the country. And we've seen this interest in 
not only holiday lettings, but also people looking to to move, acquire properties outside the capital cities. And, you know, probably best highlighted by the fact that we had our best month of regional sales ever in our history in the month of August. Certainly um, the anecdotal stories and the, the shift of, of people to uh, the working from home opportunities that are now available to them is really sort of ricocheted onto the regional markets um, right across the country. Mm. Dan, what are some of the regional areas where you're seeing the biggest increase in demand? Probably the most exciting area we've seen is the mid-north coast of New South Wales and the southern highlands. So th- these are markets that they're the best of both worlds in the sense that they, they're not too far from Sydney or Canberra, but at the same time being remote and, and giving that lifestyle that people were so keen on. So even in SA, around the York Peninsula down there, for example, the guys there have never seen um, a more active market for them in terms of sales and rentals. So there are sort of a couple of areas that are particularly strong. I mentioned before also particularly strong early beats and with Sundays, and obviously that's a, a part of Queensland that people know pretty well. Un- unbelievable um, sales up there happening right at the moment. And I think even in central Queensland, if you look at around Rockhampton and those sort of areas, the central part of Queensland, some of the more coastal ones around Yapoon and those sort of things, much more inquiry there as well than they've experienced for some time. And even just even the simple things like Gold Coast, people that had rental properties on the Gold Coast, moving into their rental properties and living there and now saying, well, this was a good little holiday place. It's not quite big enough for us. Let's get a bigger version down here on the coast and let's trade up our properties and get something a bit more substantial because we're going to be spending more time here. All these markets have got little little drivers that are, that are creating this activity that, we, that I spoke about earlier. Dan, and what about in Victoria? Obviously, there are a lot of restrictions in place in that state at the moment. Is inquiry still coming through in regional areas or have people been quite sort of spooked for now? Yeah, very quiet market overall. And so the while regional market is more open than obviously the, the metropolitan Melbourne market, unfortunately, with people being unable to move and, and, and um, get around the state, it's certainly hard for the whole market there at the moment. Um, having said that, lots of inquiry for Bendigo and Ballarat, Warrnambool, Mildura, Phillip Island, a lot of interest in it. They're all pretty strong towns themselves, but especially at the moment where people are seeing it as an alternative to Melbourne City. But unfortunately, those, the regional markets, while they are open, they're still being dragged down by the lack of activity out of Melbourne. So when those restrictions lift, hopefully at the end of October, hopefully earlier if the government changes position on private inspections and movement, we'll see some activity there. But Unfortunately, the whole of Australia is really going strongly cities and regional, except for Victoria. Mm. I want to also talk about current lockdown restrictions in Victoria and what you're experiencing through your agencies on the ground. Can you just give me your take on how you assess the situation and what you think should be happening in hopefully sure. imminently? We were we honestly been inundated with some really depressing stories and a lot of people were planning on coming out of that lockdown about now and putting their properties in the market with the private inspection model. Private inspections work for the real estate industry. It creates competition for the, you know, obviously to sell a property. It's a safe way of doing it. The private inspection protocols are very well detailed. They're touchless. We have to know the buyers well before they come through. So in terms of contact tracing, et cetera, it's, um, the information is very, you know, very good for that. And so... We don't understand why the government doesn't allow private inspections to enable the transactions to take place. And I think the government needs to appreciate that we're not talking about wanting to return the industry to normal conditions and big auctions and open homes. We just want a very well-controlled private inspection process 
that will enable our vulnerable customers to be able to market and sell their and, and, and buy real estate. You know, stories of people, you know, divorces or, you know, husbands moving in a state and they're, they're being stuck in Melbourne and can't leave till they sell their house. You've got stories of back-to-back settlements and people can't get property sold and they're going to lose their deposits. You've got people needing to move to get medical treatment. You know, we talk a lot about the prestige home sales and property developers. This is not about that. This is about basic mums and dads that really have a, a strong need to, to sell real estate. But at the moment with these lockdowns and the rules, and they're talking about October 26, now that's such a long way away for a lot of our customers. Well, let, let, let's, let's see if they reflect on their position and um, hopefully we have some changes announced soon. Uh, Dan yeah, White, we'll thank you so much for your time. It was really interesting talking with you and um, it's certainly an intriguing area to watch um, in terms of the regional and metro changes. It's, it's a really intriguing area. So thank you for, for talking us through. Absolute pleasure, Alice, anytime. Thank you. Now we hear from Eric Bigork, a Melbourne resident who made a tree change at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. My name is Eric Bigalg. I run Smart Solutions, which is a brand communications firm. My business is headquartered in Melbourne and has been for quite a number of years. And I have recently made a life change to Southeast Queensland, Noosa to be exact. The decision to leave Melbourne was um, perhaps brooding away a little bit in, in the background and I took some time away up into um, southeastern Queensland uh, late last year and over Christmas, New Year's, and I guess being back in Melbourne and when, you know, times looked like they were changing, the beginning of COVID, I just had a feeling really early on and I had a number of reasons to be up with family anyway. My mother had a, a hospital appointment, follow-up from her operation a year ago, and, and my youngest daughter was turning 18. She lives up in the Northern Rivers of New South Wales. So I I had a couple of motivations to to kind of go. I guess I timed it well and, and kind of got out of Melbourne the end of March, and uh, behind me the borders got closed and all that kind of thing, and I, I guess uh, it was sort of a well-timed intuition, if you like. So, look, there were some challenges, just having to kind of rethink a lot of things from our normal way of how we're operating. I guess we also live in a time space where technology now finally is so refined that, you know, you can have face-to-face meetings virtually. So we could segue really quite well to work remotely with clients and prospects and you know, I have the opportunity to kind of work to my own time clock, which was, I guess, part of the freedom I was seeking to live a life a little bit more healthier, balanced between life and work. So I now live um, just outside of Noosa. So it's a, it's called Castaways Beach, and it's backing onto the Noosa Heads National Park, which is uh, filled with bird life and bird song at any time of the day. There's a lot of nature. It's very slow paced and and quiet. The the people are warm and welcoming, and and it's a it's a happening uh, community around where we've moved to, and and we've sort of started making some lovely connections there. So it's been a really positive change. You, you, it's really hard to miss Melbourne, to be honest. Looking at it longer term, in the past I was I was centered around Melbourne, and I would fly out frequently to see family to visit my parents up in Harvey Bay, and. I can foresee that it might just be the flip side of that, that I'll be coming back to Melbourne more to concentrated blocks of time where I have meetings and, you know, events and, and engage with my network community down there. 
but I think um, there's a very strong likelihood that uh, that home remains uh, up in the in the sunshine state. So it's uh, yeah, I, I would be lying if I said that I hadn't fallen in love with it. Sustainability is now synonymous with well-built when it comes to Australian homes. After a momentous season of bushfires, rising temperatures and energy bills, going green is more topical than ever. Sustainable House Day was held over the weekend and showcases some of the best environmentally friendly designs the country has on offer. Joining us now to chat through what makes a house sustainable in 2020 is Jenny Edwards, Director at Lighthouse Architecture and Science. Its mission is to simplify the sustainable design process to create comfortable, clever and energy efficient homes. Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, Jenny, sustainability can seem extremely daunting to the average Australian. Can you explain what the hallmarks of a sustainable home are in 2020? Sure, with pleasure. The first thing I stress to people is it really isn't rocket science. It's it's back to basics and The number one thing is to work with our climate and to work with your site. So if you're designing a new house, that's a lot easier, of course. But if we can make the most of our orientation, so particularly in the colder climates in Australia, it's about pointing your house in the right direction. So it soaks up that free heat from the winter sun when the sun is lower in the sky, but is shaded really well in summer. And then beyond that, it's really the key things of insulation, draft ceiling, so making sure your house isn't leaking directly through lots of gaps in the building, which is common in Australia. And then looking potentially at upgrading your glazing, Um, not necessarily in all climates of Australia, because we do have such variety, but it's about designing for your site and climate and doing the basics really well. Jenny, I'm intrigued before just then you said pointing your house in the right direction, which I completely understand and in an ideal world we'd all be doing that. But what does one do if the house we have is already orientated and it's not in the direction that's the most sort of conducive for making a sustainable property? Yeah, look, that is common. Of course, we get contacted by lots of people whose house faces west or faces south. One thing we do is we do still look for opportunities in existing houses where there is a northern window somewhere in a room that doesn't get used much and encourage people to use that space or consider potentially there are often north-facing walls that can have some glass added and sometimes you can reduce the amount of glass on the other aspects. But if if your building envelope is stuck, then it's back to those other things of insulating your house really well and that's ceilings, walls and floors. Um, and looking at potentially upgrading the quality of the glazing. So double glazing uh, is much easier to come by these days, but there are um, films you can put on glass or in a rental house, I even suggest people use bubble wrap can be extremely effective. Wow, how does that work? Tell me more about that. Yeah, look, bubble wrap's a great solution. If you're in a rental, and I've done this myself, where there's very little you can do, sticking bubble wrap up on the inside of the windows effectively makes them perform like double glazed windows. So it's not super attractive, but it is really thermally effective. So in those colder climates, I really encourage people who are suffering over winter to try the old bubble wrap trick. Now, Jenny, some of our listeners may have heard about the Energy Star system for rating how efficient a home is. Could you talk us through the difference between zero star, five star and a 10 star home? Yeah, sure. Look, there's a lot of confusion with star ratings. When it comes to houses, so this is the um, nationwide house energy rating scheme. 
and it yeah, goes from zero to 10. And effectively, a zero star house is best thought of as almost equivalent to a tent. It's a house that requires loads of energy to keep it at comfortable temperatures over winter and over summer, whereas a 10 star house requires virtually no energy. Uh, and a five star house is in between, but the, the scale isn't linear. So a seven and a half star house requires half as much energy as a five star house. So it's, it's really worth aspiring for a higher star rating. Mm. We find that eight stars is about the sweet spot, really. And here where I live in, in Canberra, an eight star house it requires half as much energy as a six star home. Yet a lot of people think six star is what they should be aiming for. They don't realise that it's actually quite simple to go higher and it has really big bang for buck. I was going to say, so you get more bang for your buck, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jenny, do you reckon we'll get to the point one day where people, it'll be almost when people are buying and selling property that they talk about the star rating? Like, do you think that will become, you know, like I can say I'm five minutes from a train station, two minutes from the best spread shop in town and I'm in a 10 star home? Absolutely. I think that is coming. And here in the ACT, we're almost there. So we've actually had mandatory disclosure of the star rating when houses are sold for, I think, coming up to two decades now. So here in the ACT, there's a higher level of understanding of star ratings of homes, less so in the rest of the country, but there's a big push to to follow the ACT's lead on that front. So I think certainly these days, the number of informed clients we have contacting us from not just here in Canberra, but nationwide, awareness is really being raised quickly in this space. So I think it's not far off, definitely. Mm. Now, clearly the uptick is obviously the environment's the clear winner here and perhaps energy bills in the long run. But why should the average Aussie care so much about sustainable living? Look, from a selfish point of view, they should care about it because your home will be so much more comfortable to live in, healthier to live in, and just more joyful, honestly. That's the biggest thing. When people visit some of our homes, they go, wow, we didn't know it was possible for houses to feel as good as this. So they're really good for your physical and mental health. And Jenny, when you say comfortable, do you mean that when you wake up in the morning, the temperature is kind of a more ambient temperature rather than frigidly cold or boiling hot? Like, do you just mean it's sort of more intuitive, I suppose, the way the house responds because it's been more thought about beforehand? Yeah. So they're much more temperature stable, but they're also quieter, a well insulated and glazed house and well-draft sealed house just feels nice and still. They're very peaceful places to be. So through good design, you can create a home that's got a small footprint, but it feels and functions like a much larger home. Now, Jenny, this is all sounding marvellous and you've convinced me. So where can homeowners start, especially for those who aren't building from the ground up or who might have an older home they'd like to make more energy efficient? Other than bubble wrap. <laughs> and look, Sustainable House Day is, is a great resource. You've mentioned that that's happened last weekend, but all of the resources to do with Sustainable House Day, videos about the houses and some live discussions that happened last weekend are all still available online. And the organisation Renew that runs Sustainable House Day has a wealth of information and additional resources that I really encourage people to tap into. Beyond that, the federal government has a thing called Your Home, which is a, a technical guide to improving the, the sustainability and efficiency of your home, and that's a great resource. 
And then there's a Facebook group called My Efficient Electric Home. I'm a volunteer admin of that, where people from around the country, 20,000 of them, share their tips and experiences of basic retrofitting things, might be from bubble wrap right through to much more complex things to do with solar panels and batteries. So there are a lot of resources out there. So I really encourage people to tap into them. Fantastic. Jenny, I can't let you go without asking you what I hope is not a personal question, but how many star rating is your home? My house is 8.2 stars here in the ACT. The one thing I didn't stress is that the star rating is climate specific. So in a, in a harsh climate like Canberra, it's trickier to get 10 stars. Take my house to Brisbane, it gets 10 stars. <laughs> that is great to know. I'm very inspiring. You set a high benchmark there. <laughs> Jenny, that's really interesting. Thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. Now, look, if you've got a property question for us or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at propertyunpacked at domain.com.au. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and look out for an episode dropping every Thursday. This episode was produced by Adrian Lowe, Kate Burke and Danielle Giannopoulos. It was edited and mixed by Dan McHugh. For more property news, advice as well as market insights, head to domain.com.au.